Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Honey, you promised you would take the kids to the zoo today. <laughs> when are you going to mow the lawn? Your parents are coming over and you're not even dressed. You promised you were going to leave your wife for me. Don't let this happen to you. Everybody's working for the weekend, but your family and friends are always ruining your days off. Introducing football season, the best way to drown out the ones you love. Watch grown men run into each other head first. Marvel as overweight men chase a bouncing ball. Let the gladiators of today help you disconnect from the worries of the modern world. Get your 2018 college and pro football seasons today and we'll throw in the Sinner and the Saints tailgate show. Presented by Frostbrood Coors Light for free. That's right, you'll get two football leagues. Luke Anderson. If you were at the gym and you saw Myers Leonard pull up in a Prius, met him at the swimming pool, but you didn't ever really have a chance to talk to him because he kind of dismisses of you would you leave your name and number in his uh, windshield will darkens like, i want to see more of the man bag the alligator skin man and bag. two hours you'll never get back every saturday morning for one low price just turn your dial to 1080 the fan What a day in sports today. It's been a while. Man, we've got college football, full tilt, huge game day experience at Washington State to kick things all off. The Palouse is in a state of emergency. You've got a game seven in the NLCS. Blazers are on pace for 82-0. and 0. They play their second game tonight against the Wizards at home. You got the Habs against the Senators. I mean, what else in the world could you want the sports world to give you this weekend. What about some Tiger and Phil? Oh, is that this weekend? No, that's on. Yeah, uh, it's like Thanksgiving. That's what Thanksgiving. Are you talking about? Now, you're just asking what else that's could what the you sports want? world give us. No, that's not what I want. Oh. I'm just saying how. what Jeez. else could the sports world give us. That's what it is. Hey, were you able to find the college game day picks? Uh, no. Apparently ESPN screwed the things up. Just assume everybody picked the Cougs. 55305, five, better you today, text line. 55305, five, yeah. 55. 55. Three oh. Three zero. Three oh. Three zero five. five. No, no. Three zero five. Three zero five. Who did they pick? I don't know. Because I got a damn TV in front of me, but I didn't even catch it. So I was busy doing this. Getting ready for the show. ESPN screwed that up for you. I'm sorry. And then the commercials came on over it. So uh listen, you know, they put Lee Corso in charge of the board and you know, he's he's getting old. You know, Stakes last happen. weekend there was a lot of concern about Lee Corso. Um during game day because a lot of people said that he just kind of seemed not right. Like he seemed more drunk than usual. He's very old. He is very old, but he seems drunk and old. Well, no, I, I mean, I think that's what old is. You lose some of your, you think you just become inherently drunk when you hit a certain age. Like Uh, you can't help it. Herbie picked, uh, Oregon. Okay. That's, that's all I have on the text line. What about Lee Corso? I don't know. I just put on the duck head. I just have Herb picked. O. Which I assume means Kirk Herbstreet picked the Oregon Ducks to win the game. Could mean something else. Yeah, but yeah. You, uh, yeah, it was that herb. Picked O. Herb. 
I don't know. Just, yeah. I'm just sharing you the information that I have at this point. Boy, I got to tell you, though, watching some of that game day at the Palouse, man, they really showed up. They really uh, delivered on the years of flag waving. Did you catch uh, Drew Bledsoe's line? No. Uh, so so Reese Davis made a uh, clever fireball joke, and uh, Reese Davis was uh, uh, talking with Drew Bledsoe at the time. They, they brought him on. So he was a celebrity picker. They brought him on early. And they were kind of chatting around, and then obviously we were prepping for our shows during the picks. So we'll we'll get them for you. Uh, but he makes a fireball joke. The crowd goes wild, and Drew Bledsoe kind of poked fun at the Ducks tailgating. He goes, "Yeah, the Ducks are pretty proud of their tailgate, but uh, you know they only do it for one day. <laughs> These guys, any points out of the crowd, have been here all week. Oh yeah, yeah. dude, and- they've been preparing not only for a week, but I-, I mean, if you've ever been to Pullman, Washington." You'll know that this is probably the biggest event in a decade, decade and a half to ever happen. There is nothing, nothing to do in that town. Nothing. There's drink fireball and beer. Yes, drink fireball and get into trouble because it is nothing. You have to fly into Moscow. Moscow, uh, Idaho. Moscow, Idaho. Not, not and then you take a friggin' 20-minute bus ride. And if you go in winter, which we did when I played there, uh, it's just desolate. It reminds you of that movie, uh, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. It's sure. just the Arctic. There's nothing out there, except for football. Except for football, football. and a coog on a on a on a on a motor. All right, vehicle. Yeah. Okay. So here's what we got. Herbie picked Oregon. Okay. Everybody else picked the Cougs. The first time in the history of game day that Lee Corso put on the Cougar head. Yes. So everybody else, the entire panel is going Cougs. But Kirk Herbstreet, who is now Oregon's favorite broadcaster, picked the Ducks. I would have to say Herbie is taking a chance here. And, I mean, I don't know, man. This is going to be an interesting game for Oregon. And I know that we say this every single week when we get on air, right? No, we, always we don't. Say, no, we don't. That's no, not no, true. No, 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 no. You didn't even hear what oh. I was about to say preceding that. Well, you said that. you said this is going to be an interesting game. And then you, you made it sound like that's what you say every week, which this? is not true. Right here is Justin Herbert's week. Oh, shut up. It's Justin Herbert's oh, week. He's he, on the national stage. He's got to leave. He his... was just on the national no, stage. No, he's on the national this stage again. This is his again. second game day. Oh, no, no. This oh. one's bigger, though. This is a bigger game day. Uh, here, here's what I like about this game that, that is so intriguing to me is the contrast in style between Washington and Washington State. Okay. So you played a grinded out bloody nose, bare knuckles brawl with Washington, right? It was mostly a running game. It didn't really necessarily feature Justin Herbert and all of the pro throws that he can make because they figured if you're going to go out and you beat him, you have to do it with physical line play. Oregon looked good, was able to do it. And now they come in and they're going to play against the air raid. They're going to play against, you know, Gardner Minshew, who has been very elusive uh, for the Cougs, which is not what we've seen in quarterbacks of the past. Luke Falk would, you know, just get demolished. Yes. He would take sacks. He would hold on the ball too long. As good as he was, he was kind of a standing target. Gardner well, Minshew not only can be evasive, but he's also very quick when he does throw from the pocket. So you have an air raid with an elusive quarterback. They're going to put up points. And I think this is when you when, when you say that this is, this is uh, Justin Herbert's time to showcase. This is it. That's because you need to score points against Washington State. Let so me I just say, you right. were mentioning Luke Falk. Uh, also, another problem that he had was if it was especially windy that day, that was going to throw him off balance. 
Is it windy? He was very tall and thin. Yes, is it windy? I don't know. What are you talking about? I'm not there. We're not We're not breaking down. Uh, Talk about the mustache. Gardner Minshew. Luke Falk is graduated. He had a great career. Yeah. Bye. Gardner Minshew. That's today. That's what matters. That's what matters. And I was actually looking at some clips and some uh, highlights from the USC game. And one of the things that's so great about Gardner Minshew is the fact that he actually throws people open, which is kind of like a no-duh for anybody that watches football just generally. But you don't know how hard that is for a college player to do well consistently. Of course, that's something you do once you get to the pros, right? Um, I had a blog post on Tennessee the Fan talking about how Justin Herbert did that on that crucial third and 11 against Washington and how he threw Dylan open. He just throws him open and he gets him aside so he can get a little bit upfield. That's what Gardner Minshew does pretty much all the time. And it's interesting because he's going to be a guy that a lot of NFL scouts are going to look at after this season and go, man, kind of reminds me of Baker Mayfield in a way. Mm. He's in a system that now a lot of people maybe five years ago would have said, oh, no, it's the running guy. No, you, you can't do that. And that doesn't translate to the league. But the NFL is now adopting a lot of these college philosophies, and guys like that, they can make it. Well, Baker Mayfield was the first overall pick. Gardner he Minshew was. might yeah. be a late-round pick Maybe. that somebody takes a chance on, but there's nothing wrong with that. And the the other thing about Gardner Minshew, and, and not that we won't get into the Ducks, and we don't want to just – this is not the Gardner Minshew show, just so people know. Um, well, what if it was? <laughs> Welcome to the Gardner Minshew today. We're going to break down the mustache and the soul patch. And everything in between. And we had an interview with him at the yeah. end, and it was only maybe a okay. minute. It's not going to be that, but... <laughs> what? <laughs> we always woke him up. <laughs> what? Guys, what? What? I told you to quit calling here. Um, no, but the, the, the one thing that everybody in Pullman praises is when you have a grad transfer comes in and takes over a leadership role. So this is something that we've seen Oregon do in recent years where they bring in a grad transfer, Oregon State has brought in grad transfers, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And if you look at it here, it's not just coming in and playing well, but it's also taking over that leadership role, and you have a team that kind of rallies around him. So this is a huge game for Oregon, but you have to keep in mind this is also a huge game for Washington State, a team that's been really good over the last handful of years, and Oregon has had trouble with them specifically. But Washington State has an opportunity to do something special here, too. And you see the whole panel on game day takes Washington State. Most of the experts, uh, most of the money in Vegas is going on Washington State. So Oregon, this is a very much prove-it game for, for Oregon and, yes. and going in. And it's a very tough opponent. Well, not only that, it's going to be that Pac-12 North kind of, I don't know, I, I don't want to say kind of uh, championship game, really. Because when you look at the whole scope of it, Oregon, if they can get past this one, you're kind of easy riding. Well, they still There's, have to go to Utah. Yeah, you got to go to Utah. But if uh, conceivably, if you can get past Washington State, it, it shouldn't be too difficult of a path for you to get to that Pac-12 North, uh, or I'm sorry, the Pac-12 title game, and then possibly show yourself up in the Rose Bowl. I really don't think a one-win team out of the Pac-12 will make it to the playoff. I just don't. Yeah. I think the weakness of schedule around with everybody, the, the crappy play that everybody had in um, in out-of-league play, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I think they'll take a uh, an at-large bid before Pac-12. I don't know. We'll have to see, though. Well, it, it just depends on what happens. If, if Clemson slips up, I mean, they're playing an undefeated NC State team today. They'll have uh, Florida State, who looked better against Miami than they did in the early running in the year. So there's weird things happen in college football. Last week, four top 10 teams lost. The week before, I think it was three. Teams lose. Alabama, as good as they've been, really haven't beaten anybody yet. And you, now you've got uh, two with a knee problem, and he, he has 
kind of a weird slide and hops up hobbling. Uh, that kind of changes things for them. Remember, they lost to to Auburn last year at the end of the year. So you need things to happen for, for a Pac-12 team to get in. But never say never because crazy things happen in college football. And, and, hey, if Michigan goes on a little bit of a roll and gets some momentum going into Ohio State, then you have two one-loss teams out of the Big Ten that would at least eliminate an at-large bid. And we saw that the Big Ten had sent Ohio State, who didn't win the conference championship, over Penn State when they did. So the the committee makes odd decisions. The the, the These teams are full of 18- to 22-year-olds, and those guys, you know, take a week off and – you lose a college football game, so a lot of weird things can happen. This isn't necessarily for the playoffs, but this is a huge game for both teams. Better you today, text line. Yeah, 55305. Justin will either show today he's Jake Locker or a Matt Ryan. Can I say, yeah. there's no good ending no, for yeah. either of those guys. Yeah, what is that? I, <laughs> I mean, what? He will be irrelevant either way. Drew, yeah, exactly. Well, well <laughs> Matt Ryan played for the Super Bowl. I guess. You know, Matt Ryan, though, he's going to be a guy that because he lost that Super Bowl, he's going to suck for a really long time after this. Like that, that I, I know we're kind of veering off into NFL. You are? Here. That's weird. But it's not like you. I mean, you're usually so focused. Think about it this way. You're usually so the sharp Falcons staying on the subject. So hard consistently right after that Super Bowl. Well, yeah, but then they bounced back and made the playoffs last year. Yeah, bounced yeah. back. Well, they, they had I mean, a terrible... It really seems like the Seahawks to me. What's that? You get worse every single year. They didn't, though. They got worse, then they got a little bit better. How, how's that? They missed the playoffs, then they made the playoffs. Yeah. Are you paying attention that. at all to what goes on? I don't know about that. Okay. So, Ducks, Cougs, obviously the biggest game in the Pac-12. Uh, this does have a lot of implications for the North. There's a ton going on across college football. you got Michigan, Michigan State. We'll get into some NFL. We do have a Game 7 in the, uh, what do they call it, Uh Major League Baseball, NLCS. Yeah, let's try not to talk about that too much. No, but we'll we'll mention it later okay, on. Good. What I'm saying is we've got two we hours. We just did. And we, what? We just did. We just what mentioned now? it. Yeah. Perfect. Well, there you go. <laughs> and we got to get to that uh, Canadiens-Senators uh, game in the NHL. Oh, no? boy. No? Oh, man. No? Uh, more college football next. Center and Saint, 1080 Defend. the news related to Outcast in Oregon? Yeah, big boy! Big boy son. Yeah. Isn't that it? Yeah, tell the people. Yeah, big boy son. He committed. Did he? He's a preferred walk-on. No, he committed yeah. to the University of Oregon. Yeah. Thing that happened. Is that such a celebrity power? I, I would have thought Cristobal was above that. Well, but why? Or do you think that's like a program decision where they're like, look, we want the publicity. Just do it. I don't know. I think it says something about your school when they... Because he's you know, not that great. No, uh, no, he's like five foot seven athlete. Yeah, he kind of cross sucks. cross Patton. Yeah, and he's the son of big boy. Like, why do I have to know that a walk on has has a uh, quote unquote air quotes signed with Oregon? Well, listen, we had P Diddy's son and Snoop Dogg's son going to UCLA. I mean, it says something about Eugene and Oregon that you know. I mean, if you're a preferred walk on, he had he had offers to what Old Dominion, Butler. And uh, he's like, no, I'm going to go and, you know, obviously he can pay tuition wherever he goes. He's got, I'm sure his father's doing just fine. Look, everybody knows the only reason that they made this decision was to get Big Boy on game day. Uh, At some point, point, I thought Big Boy was going to be at game day. But you're looking at this from an an Oregon decision point versus a cross-patent decision point. You see Mm. what I'm saying? 
Mm. You see mm-hmm. the difference there of mm-hmm. the perspectives. So if you're if you are son of Big Boy, uh, Atlanta-based rap group, you can you can go and you can lend your father's celebrity to any school in this fine United States. Why did they choose Oregon? If you son of Big Boy, yeah, did you not like that? So decide bad? to go to Oregon University. <laughs> My style. Wrong with you. It's like you were talking like it was an old kung fu movie. Son of big boy. What I'm saying, though, is what does that represent about the Oregon program when they choose? We talked about beating Washington means they're back. Yeah. But also having having that momentum. I mean, Oregon changed the way people looked at college football with the uniforms, with the speed that Chip Kelly played with, with the, you know, being a relatively... You know, I, I I don't know what the word is, but they, they, they're not a blue blood school, right? They decided that they're going to take Nike money and, and Mike Bellotti and Phil Jack, uh, Phil Knight sat down and go, hey, how do we make this team a program and how do we kick down the door of college football and make our school relevant? They played for two national championships, and, and this is not somebody that has this great history of USC or Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama. They just came in and said, no, we're going to be disruptors, and they did that, and now you get the attention of of celebrities being that, that momentum. And after a couple of years down, I think it does signify something that he made that decision. So here's a question I want to put out on the Better You Today text line 55305. Now, we always talk about, is Oregon back, right? That question's been swirling. always talking about it. Last week it started. It well, started going into the Washington yeah. game, and they took a punch, it, and they it, stayed it was up, even and there they went the blow water, to blow. It, it was even there before the Stanford yeah, game. They, well, if we could beat Stanford, hey, we're back. Hey, sure. if we could beat Washington, hey, we're back. Here's my question. 55305, Better You Today text line. When did Oregon initially arrive? What was the moment in the Chip Kelly era when everybody goes, oh, my God, it's Oregon? It's a fair moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can't really pinpoint a time. You could say the national title game, but even before that, I remember the uh, New York Times putting out an article about uh, Chip Kelly's so weird there? blur offense. Putting out an article. Yeah, putting it out. Putting it out. Laying it out there. I what? think it's interesting because really I remember playing during the time when it was um when it was Jeremiah Masoli, when it was that Rose Bowl that they played against Terrell Pryor at uh Ohio State. And I remember that to me, that's what I thought was kind of the moment that Oregon had on the national spotlight of, oh, this is actually a thing now, this offense. And everybody kind of got a look at it and said, Oh, okay, this is this team's finally arrived. And I and I think really it was the next year when they went to the national title game that it, they really solidified themselves. But I'm curious to see what the listeners think, what a lot of Duck fans think. When did they initially arrive? Because I think even beating Washington State, I don't think that you've arrived again, even if you do it this weekend. I think what's really going to put you back on the national map is if you get into a New Year's Day bowl game like the Rose Bowl or you get yourself into a playoff position. But before that, there's still some rebuilding going on. So it's funny that, it, you know, the blur offense and you look at this and you forget that the Chip Kelly was only four years the head coach, right? I mean, I think that's, I think Chip Kelly is what put him on the scene. They, they didn't lose a whole lot of football games. Oh, no. With him. I mean, no, dude, he was prolific. I, I mean, it started out 10 and 3, 12 and 1, 12 and 2, 12 and 1, and played for a national championship, two Rose Bowls and a Fiesta Bowl. And, and, it, it's. I, I think it was so interesting the type of rumors that were swirling around Chip at the time where they said, oh, he's going to go to the National Football League. He's going to go coach the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That got squashed. Oh, he's going to go coach the Eagles. That kind of came to fruition. Uh, and everybody was so outraged here about it. And I was like, 
dude, look at his record. Yeah. That guy's got to get to the league. Well, sure, and and but I think that's the moment is when Chip Kelly took over as head coach, and and one of their losses wasn't was it two thousand nine where they lost to Boise State? And, uh, yeah, and the, the at, very first game of the year, yeah, the Blount punch, the Blount punch, yeah. And so everybody goes, oh, all right, well that's not anything. Well, they all they did was just go on to you know go eight and one in the Pac twelve and and go to the Rose Bowl. Well, and it was a snowball effect that year yep. too. You remember they had uh, Jeremiah Masoli stealing the laptop. I think and that was after the season though. Or was it? Because yeah. it wasn't there also LaMichael James was accused of assault to his girlfriend. I, I think there was a lot of things, but you might be right. That might be the catalyzing moment that right after that, Chip Kelly just came in and went, look, we are the lowest we've ever been. Now let's just rattle off some games because the yeah. talent's here, right? And I think that that relates to what they're going through today, which is, hey, we've lost to Stanford. Now they've been kind of shown as irrelevant. But what do we got to lose at this point? Like, if we can get past these next two games, if we can get over the hump. Now, they got some injuries that they have to kind of get over on the offensive line that really, again, it goes back to Justin Herbert. Will he be able to perform without his key offensive lineman? But if they can get over these two and then get themselves to a Rose Bowl, man, you're back. You're back on the national stage. Now, a thought on the Better You Today text line 55305 was at Michigan in 2007. Chip still OC, but that was the game. Now, you remember that was the Statue of Liberty game. Sure, but the Dennis I, Dixon Statue of Liberty game. Yeah, I mean, but there's I don't know there's there's a lot of moments. I mean, the Joey Harrington poster in Times Square uh, was a big step for Oregon moving that direction. So I don't want to discount anything that Mike Bellotti did and what what Oregon had done in building the program to get to a point where Chip Kelly came in. But I mean, in his second year to go to a national championship game is pretty insane. I mean, that's that's next level stuff, but Chip Kelly got so much attention for the way that offense ran, and and this offense doesn't operate like that. They're not running the blur offense. They didn't beat Washington by scoring 60 points. They beat them by going and, and winning in the trenches, and Mario Cristobal's style of football, he's an offensive lineman, right? I mean, he's he was he was an offensive lineman as a player. He was an offensive line coach. I know he took the, what, Florida International job as a as a head coach. But, I mean, this guy specializes in getting the guys stronger, and he wants, he wants to be strong and fast. This is a very different Oregon team. And if they go back to a national title with Mario Cristobal, it's not going to be beating people by deception. It's not going to be by taking the, the best athletes and finding a spot for them on the football field. They're going after four- and five-star kids with the big boys, and that's all because of the groundwork set by Bilotti and Chip and even to to a little bit of degree of Mark Helfrich, and, and they went to a national championship game uh, with Mark. You can give more credit to Marcus yeah. Mariota, and that's fine, but they did have a couple very good years in there, and now you've got, you know, this is kind of the, the next wave of what the Ducks are going to be. Well, and I think what, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal is trying to do, and I think what you'll see today against Washington State really – uh, more than any other time this year, because again, Penny Sewell is out. They have another offensive lineman that's out, and uh, you know you're not going to have a lot of protection for Justin Herbert. You know, Washington State's uh, defense has gotten way better in the past three years, and they have a pretty good pass rush. And so, I think they're going to rely on C.J. Verdell to kind of carry the load and uh, you know allow them to run a little bit of clock and just win this game. I, Mario Cristobal has tried to take the best of what the SEC does, which is I'm going to line the big boys up and I'm going to pack the box with some tight ends, and we're going to run the ball, and we're going to get play action going. That's what the pistol is, right? They run out of the pistol almost 70% of the time. And, I mean, it's just a glorified version of, you know, an ace set under center. Yeah, well, what this is 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 his his undergrad was being an assistant coach at Alabama. 
I mean, he was, I mean, that's the monster of college football. And Mario Cristobal got to study under Nick Saban and learn how to build a program. And you have to build it with a, a foundation. You need to be good on your offensive and defensive line. And you can see that Oregon probably has, as far as, as, as whole units go, this is a, probably the best offensive and defensive line they've ever had. Right where you 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 had standout, you had stars, you know, like Deion Jordan and guys that were were drafted high, and you've had you've had pieces in there and at, at the Oregon Lions, but they're trying to build a foundation. And then when you have a guy like Justin Herbert, are they deep enough to overcome those injuries? We don't know, but what, I think what you're seeing is what Oregon could be in a few years if everything goes according to Cristobal's plan. Dude, thrown out a Deion Jordan reference? Well, he was a th- number three overall pick. He's bust though. Well, I understand that, but he was very He's a good bus, at Oregon. Bro. Yeah, but we're talking about college football. I know we're talking about college football, but you could have thrown out some better prospects. Now, that's another thing that you'd want to talk about that maybe is safe for another day. How many Oregon guys really didn't transfer well to the next level? And even Marcus Mariota right now, it's kind of up in the air. Yeah, but we've had I, a pl- plenty of conversations about guys that did translate pretty well. Sure. I mean, Jonathan Stewart's been there forever, and he wasn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't look at him coming out of college and go, oh, this guy's going to be a beast and going to be, you know, a foundation of a team that's going to go to I the kinda Super I kind of did. Well, I don't know, man. That guy was that guy was huge. I remember that guy in high school, too. <laughs> really, though, because he, he broke a couple records up in Washington for rushing, and I remember watching some of his highlight film and being like, Bellevue. oh, my. That dude's going to be huge. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know. But, I mean, he didn't – I guess he didn't have the hype of a Michael James or some of those other guys that their game didn't really translate. But that's part of the thing about having the smaller guys and the athletes and DeAnthony Thomases of the world don't necessarily have the build. And that's the fun thing about watching Justin Herbert is not only has he been a good college football uh, college quarterback, but football uh, experts are salivating at the idea of him going to the NFL. So, oh, Man, you know, if I was Justin Herbert uh, last week against Washington and I saw John – uh, Elway up in the box. I'd be like, oh, crap. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. I hope they win uh, Thursday night football. Well, but th- that's the curse of being the best college football quarterback uh, is that you go to the worst professional football team. Uh, how much do you think Elway is involved at practice on a daily basis? Because I, I think he brought, uh, I think he brought Case Keenum in and like for maybe three weeks was interested in him and then started watching him play and he was like, nah, I've lost interest. <laughs> He's not as good as I might have thought. Yeah. And then Paxton Lynch just, you know, proverbially getting ready for Billboard Music Awards. Uh, There are some huge games in college football today outside of Oregon, Washington State. Let's take a quick look at a couple of those. Um, Also a uh, fantastic story, and you need to defend your point on Jimmy Butler a little bit. So we'll dive into I'd love to. Okay, so let's dive into maybe a little bit of NBA, talk a little Zers possibly. Um, But first, let's do the news. All right, welcome back to the Oregon Ducks Saturday preview. We're the start of the parade. I guess it started with game day. Second game day for the Ducks. A couple people on the Better You Today text line saying that the Ducks aren't back. Depends on where you measure back as. Back in the national spotlight? Yeah, they are. Back in the national title hunt? Eh, probably not. But... You know what? It's it's fun to get excited about it. It's very cool for Pullman. So any Cougs fans out there, uh, I know you got to be excited about having your team uh, have the big spotlight on them. First time ever uh, game day being in there. After this, we'll go into the coaches show with Cristobal. Then we'll do an extended version of Ducks game day, uh, followed by uh, the pregame, the game. You don't have to change the channel. No. Just rip the knob right off your radio, throw it out the window. Yep. We've got all your Ducks. Until about midnight when Brandon Sprague finally gets off the air. And if you got your boom box, 
I guess, tear the the knob the knob the off of that. Is there a knob on a boombox? Who has a boombox anymore? You brought it up. Oh. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you see kids now with Alexas walking around on their shoulders? You know? <laughs> Instead of the boombox, you got the Alexa. Walking around with your Google Home. Five five three zero five. Oregon beating Texas in two thousand Holiday Bowl. That's the first "quote unquote" we're here moment. Eh, well, again, uh, it was also brought up on here. It was kind of reiterated. I will say uh, the Joey Harrington Times Square poster is a fairly big moment in the Heisman Trophy uh, race, right there. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of big moments yeah. in Oregon football, and I'll bring up one for you that you hate so much. But uh, let's hear it. Kenny Wheaton. So that's uh, not the national stage one we're talking no, about. That no, that's no. a that's a very special moment for Oregon fans that uh, <laughs> that you hate. No, yes, it's, you do. It's a good moment. It's a it's a great moment. It's a great. It's moment. a great moment for a lot of people that were waiting for Oregon football to matter, and uh, and that changed. And and it's funny because you kind of you're looking at it a little bit um, when you look at Oregon as a fan base. And there was a great article written a couple years ago, and I wish I could give credit to, to the person that wrote it, but it was an Oregon alum that was talking about the experience they had in school going to Autzen, and you'd go by the library, and you'd pick up your student tickets, and maybe you'd go for part of the game, and you'd hang out. It didn't really matter, and football wasn't really a central piece of life on campus. And then coming back and being devastated by the result every Saturday, 20 years after graduating from the university and just living and dying with this football team. And then you realize how lucky you are that the the guys that made the investment, whether it's financial from Phil Knight or the time by Bilotti or all of the players that had contributed to turning Oregon into, you know, a, a nationally relevant program and not a national power, but a nationally relevant program means a lot. And so it, it's, it's pretty cool to see. So back in the, in the spotlight for sure, I would say that. So if you're trying to measure where Oregon is, two game days in four weeks, it's kind of a big deal. Now, before okay. we get into more football, because hour two is going to be just stuffed with football. Well, and we're, we're going to take about 45 minutes to talk about uh, Thanksgiving turkey stuffed with football. Uh, and NHL and Major League Baseball. Don't yes, forget that. and Canadian that. football yeah. if it's still in play. I don't think it is. Now, you're telling me that you have some uh, gotcha thing about Jimmy Butler. Is that the case? <clears throat> so you were so excited about Jimmy Butler because they have to trade him because he's made all this uproar. And, oh, my gosh, this Jimmy Butler situation is so insane. Jimmy. Where is he going to go? Jimmy it's going to change the NBA. It's amazing that the players have all this power. They get whatever they want. And Jimmy Butler's power didn't get him anything except for a spot in the Minnesota Timberwolves starting lineup and a hearty boo from the crowds. And in a wonderful twist of fate, Jimmy Butler went out and, oh, he's really good at basketball. And he scored 33 points. By the end of the game, they're chanting MVP. This takes away from the idea that players get whatever they want in the NBA. Sometimes you get stuck where you're at, and you just have to make the best of it. And this situation is... To me, Ben kind of dull until somebody gets moved. He's a Timberwolf. Let me say this: I think now I'm starting to kind of come around to the. Uh, I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory, but a lot of people were putting it out there on Twitter. The whole idea that Tom Thibodeau actually loved it. This, oh, this whole circus ooh. that he created at practice. So wait, has this been orchestrated by Tibbs? No, not orchestrated <laughs> by Tibbs necessarily, but just the idea that you know Butler came into practice, played with the third team, absolutely dominated the first team, screened at the GM. You know, you effing need me. Uh, that Tibbs didn't orchestrate it, but he saw it and he goes, "I love this." 
This you is should. exactly what this team needs because there's a little proof to the fact that the Timberwolves kind of sucked before he got there. Then when he got there, before he got injured, they were third in the West. And then he got hurt, and they sucked again. And they sucked again, and then they still made the playoffs. Yeah. Well, and, and he also, I mean, I think the point you're trying to prove is when you have Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and they don't put in the effort to match their talent, he goes, I will crush you guys. And that's why he grabs the third <laughs> team, and he goes out, he does, and he, and he would go at Carl Anthony Towns every time he got the ball to the point where he's moving out of the way. And it, it, this is a way you have to play if you want to win in this league. Either you're with me or you're not, and if they join him, he'll be perfectly happy to stay in Minnesota. If they go and they put in the effort and they go out and play as hard as he does, and and you realize that the reason Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time is because he wanted to win more than anybody else. The reason Kobe is is you know a walk-in Hall of Famer, all-time great, is he would have killed his own mother to score a game-winning basket. The reason LeBron James he would have. Whoa! <laughs> no? All right. Oh, he would have run Temper over his own mother down a little bit. Crazy dude. But she's Louise. Part of the reason LeBron James is one of the greatest of all times is he puts in more work in the offseason. You never see that guy take a month off after the season to to refresh. He comes back out and he works harder than anybody. I think that also, if we can swing this back around to Damian Lillard. Uh, no, no, we cannot. Yes, we can because I just did. Okay. Damian Lillard now, in comparison to what. Jimmy Butler's doing in Minnesota, you kind of think like, man, when's this guy going to just turn it on and tell everybody, get out of my way and let me do this? I know that he's trying his personality. I know it's not his personality and we'll get into the Blazers in the second hour and their, um, and their home opener against the Lakers, because there was a lot of great things. We can do it right now. I don't think I have much more on Jimmy Butler unless you do. Well, we got a break here in a minute, (laughs) but um, you know, I, I think that, you have to expect that at some point, I know Damian Lillard needs some help. If he even wants to sniff getting somewhere out of the first round in the Western Conference, but he's got to get that killer mentality that you're talking about that Jordan and Kobe have. And he has it. He has the physical yeah. capabilities to do it. He's got the sidekick and CJ McCollum to help back him up. He needs another piece, probably two more pieces to make anything serious. But I'm just saying, switch the attitude a little bit. Well, the one thing about Damian Lillard, though, and I think it was mentioned on the TNT broadcast, is he's gotten better every year. I mean, he's first-team All-NBA last year, and you look at his numbers through his first six NBA seasons, and he's as good as anybody ever to play the game. And he keeps getting better. So I don't I don't think you need to ask a whole lot more if you're a Blazers fan from Damian Lillard. From the rest of the team, yeah. But there's also the idea that Terry Stotts hasn't really put the best lineup around that he possibly could have and uh, the way the bench played maybe they found at least a recipe that you know obviously they're not going to score 55 points every game but you maybe found a recipe that is going to help when Dame didn't have a great game to start off and if you can win without your two stars playing at their best that's how the team's gonna get better yeah right okay good versus evil next center and saint 1080 the fan have you been too busy to keep up on sports this week? What has happened to the, What has happened? What has happened to the national interest? No time to form your own opinions? I stand before you here today in the midst of gnarly times. Well, no worries, brah. <laughs> Let the center and the saint shred the gnar while you just sit back and ride the wave. It's time for Good versus Evil. Brought to you by the titan of Hawaiian restaurants. 808 on 1080 The Fan. <laughs> So thankful for another opportunity, and uh, to, to have it in like that is uh, is amazing. So I didn't have gray hair before last week, so this uh, this is new, but uh, I, I feel so thankful. That was man with the leg. 
Mason Crosby. Redemption showered over the Green Bay kicker Monday after notching a game-winning 27-yard field goal to beat the 49ers 33-30. Crosby was perfect on the night compared to his bipolar performance against Detroit the week prior, missing five kicks the week following that disaster. Rumors even swirled that the Packers were close to canning the 10-year vet. But Twitterverse believed that Aaron Rodgers was the bigger story leading an insane one-minute drive to set Crosby up on Monday Night Football. Would you say this game was more about Rodgers or Crosby? Can it be about both? I mean, you miss five kicks in a game. Uh, I I was watching the end of that game. He finally made a kick at the end of it after, I mean, they lost by eight points. Uh, He missed 13 points worth of kicks in it. Aaron Rodgers was the first guy to come up and tap him on the head and go, it's okay and kind of stand there. I think these guys have been in it together. I think they're the both the two longest tenured Packers on the roster. Maybe Clay Matthews has been there as long. But, yeah, I think it's about both. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, and he hasn't had a team around him. Has been one of the big complaints. And so to get rid of his kicker, we've seen how difficult it's been to replace a guy that's been there a long time. Um, I do want to point out that comment that he made about the gray hair. Did we not put up the exact same meme that you and I created uh in that exact scenario. Yeah, now people are going to think we stole it. No, no, we gave it to him. He stole it from us. We posted it after the game. Yeah. This really isn't surprising. You're talking about a team that was in L.A. in its inception in 1960, and then they moved away to San Diego for 50-plus years. The team is, is, is winning right now, and it, it has a chance to obviously make the playoffs with where it's positioned, but clearly there isn't that bond with the city or the surrounding region, I should say. That was Mike Wilbon's twin, Jason Reed, from The Undefeated. He's talking about our favorite dumpster fire known as the Los Angeles Chargers. Earlier this week, ESPN reported the franchise had to adjust revenue projections for personal seat licenses from $400 million to $150 million. This economic scare conjured calls from fans and San Diegans alike to move them back to San Diego. But... That doesn't even look viable now after ProFootballTalk.com reported the franchise signed a quote-unquote firm 20-year license to play in future Los Angeles football arena being built by one Stan Kroenke. Are the Chargers doomed? Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like they need to move back to San Diego. But they can't, dude. I I know. It's 20 years. I'm with you. Eventually... Listen, if they go to a Super Bowl, they'll get support, I suppose. Uh, but they'll always be the stepchild. Like, there's really not an opportunity. It, it what if help. they get to an AFC title game this year and they have to play it in that <laughs> soccer stadium? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's the whole thing is such a mess right now. I think the only the only way that you're going to actually get a fan base is, is A, you need to transition away from the current you know, look of it. I mean, Philip Rivers is a San Diego Charger, right? I mean, you see his dumb face and his stupid bolo tie, and you you associate it so much with San Diego. There's still players. I think you still have the ghost of Antonio Gates playing there. It's still the San Diego Chargers. The Rams, I think, did a really smart thing. They went back to the 1960s blue and white. There's not really a change the Chargers can make. Maybe switch their, their school colors so that they can be a different version of the Chargers and maybe you'll get somebody to support it. But 
I, I think they're doomed. It just looks so bad. More they need Sparky. To, I want more Sparky, what, their mascot. What, what they need to do is draft only USC and UCLA players from now on, and hopefully like kids that were born in Los Angeles. Maybe that's your hope. Maybe get John David Booty to back up uh, Phil Matt Leinert. It's, it's a challenge all the way around. It's just a matter of uh, how, how I'm going to react to that challenge. And accepting that challenge, you know, which I am, which I will do. Uh, I mean, for me, it's just more about, at this point, it's more about what I have to do for the sake of the team. That was man wearing dad bod suit from Earl Anthony. What was he wearing? A dad bod suit. Okay. He said dad bod suit. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. The overweight, washed out, newly acquired Rocket attempted to play basketball during Houston's 131 to 112 loss to the Pelicans Wednesday, but that, well, it didn't go very well. Coming off the bench, Anthony went 3 for 10 from the field with only 9 points. Since the 2012 season, it appears that every team Carmelo Anthony joins somehow gets worse. Is there Somehow? A what do you mean somehow? Is there a possibility how? that the Rockets might even cut him before the All-Star break? Boy, I hope so. <laughs> it's a one-year deal. You can technically cut this and guy. And they're not paying him any money. No. Man. Yeah, do it. That'd be great. He's terrible. He's really, really bad, and it really seems like that team gets worse once he gets on the floor. I actually watched a couple minutes of this game, and I saw when they had their starting five in, and I was like, man, Rockets still look good. They threw Anthony in after about four minutes, and everything just went, like, dead. It was just, like, stagnant. The ball didn't move. They kind of got lazier on defense. Yeah, that's it. He's a black hole that doesn't play defense. How yeah. does he fool people into this? Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> listen, he's got he's got a resume, I guess. He's still hanging on to that Syracuse National Championship. And that really good 2012 season. Remember? With the Knicks. Hey, those are all numbers with the Knicks. Yeah. yeah. No winning teams. He was almost good with Denver, and then he went to New York, and then just put up a bunch of hollow numbers. He's terrible. All right, time for my favorite story of the week, and this one comes from China. The Ch- all right, excuse me for this. The Chengdu Aerospace Science and Technology Microelectronics Systems Research Institute company, of course, known as CASC, plans to build an artificial moon that would be eight times brighter than the real moon, reports Chinese newspaper The People's Daily. The fake moon would actually be a satellite built to light areas between six to 50 miles wide and, repl- and would replace street lights. The satellite is expected to launch in 2020 and says testing's already began for it. What? Dude, a fake moon. Yeah, but where is it going to light up? Like, okay. Are they timing the orbit so it just sits over China? It, it sits over a city. It's, uh, so it's, it, uh, Chengdu. See, I don't know enough about satellite technology, but it just sits over one spot, over one city, and replaces, I assume it's solar powered. It, I guess. I mean, it really doesn't go into detail how it's actually powered. I think a lot of electricity is used. I think one thing they're trying to do is to cut down on what they call light pollution. But then here's my question. If you have two moons, aren't the animals going to get confused? Yeah. Isn't everything going to get confused? <laughs> Listen, there's this makes me feel very dumb because I don't know anything about satellites. You throw up a satellite, it just stays right there in fixed position above your city. Had no idea about that, so that confuses me a little bit. You're going to be able to throw enough light six times brighter than the actual moon? Apparently. The shadows that it casts are are going to light up dark alleyways so you can replace all streetlights? Because aren't streetlights going, well, there's no light here because of these yes. 
Yes. Factors. We put a building there, so we need to put a streetlight next to it because of shadows, but it'll eliminate all of that, so it'll just be this big... I don't know enough about light, satellites, space. I feel very dumb right now. Well, my quip about it, too, was aren't streetlight lights meant to light up? Just a specific area. Well, businesses, right? Because if you're walking along the street, like, you want to see at least the sign and what's inside. I know that there's lights inside, like, on, um, on window fronts, but at the same time, like... That doesn't allow you to see everything. That's This is what I'm saying. They're strategically placed going, this intersection needs a, a streetlight. That I, one does not. I know this might sound stupid, but I genuinely believe this will confuse animals and they'll just start <laughs> rushing to the city somehow. Dude, it confuses us already. <laughs> These two animals sitting here talking are confused. It's not even up yet. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, a second moon? No, but here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. So, okay. You put a moon above this city in China. Yes. What if it works? I think that's what they're hoping. No, I understand that. But won't other cities do it? Well, so what? Then you'll just have a bunch of fake moons? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Wouldn't that be bizarre? And then Milwaukee's like, well, we need a fake moon. What if we get a fake moon? That's just... Do you understand the repercussions of success from this? Portland would totally... Forget if it doesn't work. Who cares? It's China. Unless it, like, comes crashing down in the middle of, you know, Sandy. But, like, I don't know. I just picked a local sure. area. Sorry, Sandy. I'm not wishing a, a fake moon falls on you. What if it's a Death Star that they're putting up there? There's a whole other thing. Now now my brain's going to too oh, many directions. Hey. But what if this works? Yes. And then it starts getting replicated across the globe. Now, Portland would be the first to jump on that. I could totally see Portland I, just, like, uh, getting a wrecking crew oh, yeah. downtown and just destroying all streetlights. I don't see anybody protesting that idea. We're all bought yeah. into the Por fake moon. Portland won't protest a fake moon. No. Even if Portland is for it, they'll also be against it yes. because that's what Portland the does. The fake moon is ruining our skin. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Somehow. Somehow. What would be the first U.S. city to take the sun? Us. Us. No, Seattle. Seattle's ahead of Portland. Amazon, Microsoft. We also don't have enough money. Yeah. Seattle. Seattle's getting a fake moon. There's your news. Uh, all right. Uh, Good versus evil brought to you by 808, the titan of Hawaiian restaurants, 2454 East Burnside or 52nd and Woodstock. Hour two coming up next. Center and Saint, 1080, the fan. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.